Well, turn with me this morning to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 11. As we continue in this wonderful Gospel, Matthew is helping us see who Jesus is. And remember that Matthew chapters 11 and 12, these two chapters kind of show us who Jesus is in relation to how people respond to Him or interact with Him. And so today we're looking at verses 20 through 24. And this interaction between Jesus and a group of people who followed Him, who were with Him at this time, this continues in chapter 11 as Jesus now chastises those who have the opportunity and they witness Christ and His miracles and His teaching, yet they go about their daily business indifferent to the whole affair. And Jesus levies criticism here against the Pharisees and the scribes in the previous verses. We looked at that last week where He calls them children who are fickle and petulant because they could not and would not join Jesus in establishing the kingdom. That was Jesus' rebuke of them. They were religious in their thinking, yet they were bored and could not decide which game to play. That's how Jesus described them in the previous verses. Jesus and John the Baptist, they both preached truth, right? And, and, and there were many, there were many people who did not join them. That's the, that, that is the tragic truth of the gospel. If you could actually see Jesus and see, and even witness John the Baptist, why would you reject that? Why would you ignore that? That's what we ask ourselves, but it was obviously true. And so we're looking at some rebuke here. The problem is that as many, many people witnessed Christ, some ridiculed them, but most, most did not care. And that's what we're going to look at today. And the result of preaching in these cities around Galilee was that the vast majority of the citizens in this region would not follow Jesus. They just wouldn't. They would not come to Him because they refused to acknowledge Him. They were just indifferent. So if you'll stand with me, let us read Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 through 24. And let us hear the words of our Savior in response to this indifference to the gospel. Beginning in verse 20, the words of our Savior say, Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you, that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. These are powerful words. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we hear the words of your Son, Jesus Christ, and if we are listening intently, we are struck with shock and awe. 
Jesus pulls no punches here in his criticism and his condemnation of those who witnessed his miracles, who heard his teachings firsthand, who saw Jesus basically daily and interacted with him. And even his, his cousin John the Baptist, there were so many who rejected the gospel, but they rejected it out of just apathy. They didn't care. But Lord, the rebuke of your son Jesus here is strikes very, very much at home now. Many of us who have heard these words are now struck with, Dear Jesus, are you talking to me? And I pray God this morning that if that is the case, your Holy Spirit would soften the hearts of those who are indifferent to the gospel. That they would not hear these words of judgment and condemnation when they stand before your throne. And so, God, I pray this morning as your word is being read that you would speak to us clearly, that you would reveal to us our position before your Son, Jesus Christ. And dear God, I pray that you would have mercy. This time is for you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please have a seat. I don't think I have the reputation of being a hellfire and brimstone type preacher. Yet this text has that message at its core. Let's hear the words of our Savior because Matthew's gospel here tells us, beginning here in verse 20, then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done. Jesus has already taken the Pharisees and the scribes to the woodshed in a way. He's he's embarrassed them publicly. And now he turns to the crowds who are near him, and he speaks to them pretty boldly. Matthew tells us here in this passage that the cities around the Sea of Galilee where Jesus focused his ministry were full of apathy toward him. Now, when I think of where Jesus had his ministry base in Capernaum, and there in the northern coast of of the Sea of Galilee, you would imagine or you would assume that as Jesus is living and working here, that he would have had such an influence in this region that many people were changed. And And there were. I mean, there were many miracles that happened here. His teachings were impactful here. Yet what we see here from the words of our Savior in Matthew's description that there were many people who just ignored what was going on. I mean, that, that just blows my mind. They ignored it, and they were seeing it live, living it. And so we know from Matthew's gospel that, that Jesus set up a home base in the fishing village of Capernaum. I mean, we, we looked at this last year, but back in Matthew chapter 4, if you wish to turn there, you can. We see exactly how Jesus comes to Capernaum. In Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 12, Matthew tells us, Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and from those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them 
a light has dawned. And then in verse 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so Matthew's account here in chapter 4, quoting Isaiah chapter 9, as Jesus is fulfilling this prophecy, Jesus settles in this region to fulfill prophecy. But look here in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 4. He settles in a region where the people are dwelling in darkness. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death on them, a light has dawned. These people in this region, they were living in a dark place. The shadow of death was upon them. Yet Jesus, the true light, settles here. Ponder this. Because when I'm thinking about Capernaum, honestly, I'm thinking about Peter's house and all of these wonderful stories in the gospel of, of great miracles and, and, and great revelation of who Jesus is and, and the crowds that would surround Peter's house trying to push in to get to Jesus. And when I picture that, I'm thinking, wow, the people in Capernaum in that region must have just loved Jesus. Yet now we see here in Matthew chapter 11, that was not necessarily the case. It was a dark place. And here Jesus is telling us exactly what is happening, that they rejected him. Now Jesus issues this, this rebuke here in Matthew 11. He's rebuking the region where he spent most of his time. Now the comparisons here in Matthew chapter 11 verses 20 through 24 are actually between cities, uh, two different types of cities. Uh, he, let's, let's take here a look at, at, at verse 20. Here's why, why is Jesus refusing, or why is he rebuking them in verse 20? Because they did not repent. And then going into verse 21, he mentions some cities here. There's two sets that are mentioned. There's Chorazin and Bethsaida, and then there's Tyre and Sidon. Two sets of cities in contrast to one another. Let's take a look here at verse 21. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago. Now remember that Chorazin and Bethsaida refused to repent. Yeah, now here Jesus is comparing the, them to Tyre and Sidon. If Tyre and Sidon had seen these miracles, they would have repented. But you didn't. Now why is Jesus comparing this? Chorazin and Bethsaida, where are these? These are two cities very near Capernaum. If you look at the map of the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum is kind of on the northern coast there, and Chorazin is a, you know, just a, a, a couple of miles really north away from the coast, but very near uh, Capernaum. And Bethsaida is just east of there, right there on the coast of the Sea of Galilee. So these were two areas that were very nearby where Jesus was. Chorazin was a small village, and Bethsaida, let's remember that Bethsaida was the hometown of Philip, Andrew, and Peter. When Jesus calls them, <laughs> that's, that's where he's calling them from. And many of Jesus' more profound miracles occurred in Bethsaida. Ponder this. Now, in contrast, we have Tyre and Sidon. Where are they? Tyre and Sidon, they were a little bit farther away. They were actually over on the Mediterranean coast. They're actually in present-day Lebanon. They were Phoenician cities, the pagans, the pagan cities of Phoenicia. And they were, they were seaports. 
But Tyre and Sidon, if you ever do a study in the whole of Scripture from the Old Testament into the New Testament, Tyre and Sidon are mentioned often. And they are cities that were full of immorality and debauchery. They were actually used as symbols by the prophets of God's wrath regularly. We even see in the book of Acts chapter 12 that by by the time of the book of Acts and the rise of the church, King Herod is being petitioned by Tyre and Sidon for more food because they depended on, on Herod at that time for their food. And this is when Herod, when you look at uh, Acts chapter 12, Herod, in dealing with the representatives from Tyre and Sidon, boasts about his, his power, and God kills him right there on the spot as he's dealing with Tyre and Sidon. So what, is, what else do we know about Tyre and Sidon in contrast to Chorazin and Bethsaida? Tyre and Sidon, again, they were seaports, they were godless, and they were ancient cities. They were rebuked by the prophets because they had a total disregard for God. We see in Ezekiel, Ezekiel painted the king of Tyre as Satan in Ezekiel chapter 28. God saw the debauchery in these cities and it was so heinous that God actually destroyed them in in, in Ezekiel 28 and Jeremiah 25. Many of the Jews were sold into slavery by the Phoenicians, by the, Tyre, the cities of Tyre and Sidon. They, the, the Jews were sold into slavery uh, in the book of Amos. Amos mentions this. Even Jezebel, she was, the princess of, she was a princess of Sidon. She's mentioned in 1 Kings chapter 16. And Jezebel, a princess of Sidon, a Phoenician princess, becomes the most wicked queen in the history of Israel. You see the background here of these two cities? It goes deep. Further, if you want to go back even further into biblical history, when the children of Israel are coming into the promised land, remember in the book of Joshua, the tribes of Israel are commanded by God. They're giving a task to take over Canaan, to take over the promised land, and to wipe out the Canaanites. And each tribe was given an allotment of territory. We know that the tribe of Asher had been given the task to take the regions of Phoenicia around Tyre and Sidon for themselves. Yet the tribe of Asher fails. They become scared because they see the mighty walls of Tyre and Sidon and they do not fulfill God's command. And so they give up God's gift. When we look at Joshua chapter 19... So we see a strong history here of these two cities. Why is Jesus comparing the cities in his region around Capernaum with these two cities? In the latter half of Matthew 11, verse 21, I think we can see this. Jesus makes a deeper and more painful impression upon his neighbors. If he's mentioning these cities in contrast to them, he's doing this for effect. Tyre and Sidon were places of the worst of the worst. They had that reputation even among the Jews. You don't want to be like the Phoenicians in Tyre and Sidon. You don't want to be like them. Yet here's what Jesus is saying, that the reputations of these ancient cities, that even though the the reputations carried into Jesus' day, 
that these cities would represent the most vile evil that you could imagine. And Jesus issues a curse here. Notice the comparison in verse 21. As Tyre and Sidon, as bad as they were, Jesus says that they would have repented. I want you to bring this point. I want you to notice this point very clearly. As horrible as Tyre and Sidon are throughout all of the biblical narratives, Jesus makes a point here. I don't think he's, I don't think he's pulling any punches. He's, he's making it real clear that if the miracles and the teachings that you have witnessed my friends in Capernaum, if Tyre and Sidon had seen this, they would have repented. That's a deep point here. No matter how vile a community becomes, no matter how vile and, and, and ungodly people become, Jesus is actually bringing a little bit of hope here. Had they heard my witness, had they seen my miracles, even they would have turned and they would have come to me. Let's not forget that point. Because many of us, we can think upon others who are not saved, who are not Christians, who actually want nothing to do with the gospel, and we give up on them. Yet Jesus is making a point, as vile as these cities are, oh, they would have come to me had they witnessed what you witnessed. Jesus says that they would have repented. They would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. Now that's a, that's a repentance. Anytime you see repentance and sackcloth and ashes in the scriptures, trust me, that's real repentance. How many of us would, would dare to put on sackcloth? In other words, go get a, 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 a potato sack, a burlap potato sack and make a clothes out of it. And that's what you wear out of a sign of humility. And then you go sit in a pile of garbage like Job did and you take ashes and you pour them on your head as signs of, of just, just utter depression. That's repentance. So Jesus is not saying that Tyre and Sidon would have just been passive in their repentance. They would have really repented. I mean, this was severe remorse that Jesus is talking about. Tyre and Sidon, though, let's make sure we make see the point, that Tyre and Sidon never witnessed the miracles of Jesus. They never had the opportunity to salvation while Jesus was ministering. But think about this. Jesus shows in this statement that repentance is possible. Let's not forget that. Anyone who hears and witnesses the beauty of the kingdom of heaven, repentance is possible. Now, clearly, let's think about this, too. The time and the place of the proclamation of the gospel is reserved for God's sovereignty. He determines when the gospel and where the gospel will be preached. That's what Jesus is kind of implying here, too. Jesus shared the gospel, shared the kingdom of heaven in miraculous ways at a particular time and in a particular place. Tyre and Sidon were not part of the plan. Yet Jesus is saying, had I gone there, they would have repented. But I came to you. I came here to Capernaum. I chose Capernaum as my base. And this region of Galilee is where I am here. I am here because my father has placed me here. 
and I'm here to preach the gospel to you. Let's remember that. I mean, that's important. When we witness the miraculous events of Jesus, and, and these miraculous events of Jesus are clear, and the truth of the gospel that he teaches is clear, even the most vile will see the truth. Yet those who heard Jesus here, they did not hear the truth. And they're not vile. They're just Jewish folks. But Jesus makes a very clear point here. He condemns those who lived near him, who witnessed his miracles. They heard his preaching. They saw the power. They saw the kindness of our Lord. And Jesus means in these words that those who see Jesus firsthand have no more excuses. Notice here in verse 22. Let's read verse 21 and 22 again. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Verse 22 is the heart of the curse. Jesus is cursing these folks. Judgment will be worse for you than it will be for these vile cities who rejected God from ages past even till now. Now ponder that for a minute. We can even apply this now to this idea of, of in, in the news this week, you could not escape the news of what's happening in Central Asia in Afghanistan. The rise of evil is back. Yet many of us as Christians may think, well, they're just going to hell. They're just demons. Well, maybe, yeah. But you know what I think in contrast here? If Jesus preaches the gospel to the Taliban and to ISIS, would they repent in sackcloth and ashes while we in the West who have every opportunity to hear the gospel, oh, and we just yawn. We can in our minds think about the evil ISIS and the evil uh, Taliban and the evil terrorists around the world in Islam. And if Jesus went and preached to them, would they respond in a better way than we do? Possible. And here's why I think it's very possible, because when you hear the witness of missionaries in the Middle East and in Central Asia over the last several decades, there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of reports that Jesus himself is revealing himself to people in Islam through their dreams. It is such a wide, vast witness, you cannot ignore the reality of what God is doing. We have a church in Afghanistan that is now suffering. But the members of this church came out of a horrible Islam. Yet we in the West are indifferent. We're no better than Capernaum and Bethsaida and Chorazin. Jesus condemns them. If the most vile cities of the ancient Phoenician area north of Israel or upon the Mediterranean, if they would repent and turn to true salvation, certainly the cities and villages where Jesus lived and worked would do the same. But they don't. 
God's judgment here in verses 11 and 21, Jesus is making a very clear point. Judgment will be severe and those who face the harshest judgment are those who are indifferent toward Christ. That's the harshest judgment. There are people in this room right now, there are people who are listening to this as we're recording it. They have heard the gospel over and over and over again. They witness genuine Christianity and genuine faith in their families and in their friends, yet their attitude toward the whole affair is, oh well. In verse 22, Tyre and Sidon are clearly condemned. They're condemned in God's wrath. And they're also condemned here in Matthew chapter 11. Yet Jesus explains in His rebuke that various levels of judgment will come. Various levels of judgment are evident here. The miracles and the great truth were witnessed in this region of Galilee. By God's sovereign hand, He placed His Son, Jesus Christ, here. And the miracles seen of Jesus were withheld from the cities of Tyre and Sidon. And for this reason, the judgment coming against those who witnessed the miracles and heard the truth preached would be judged more harshly than any of the vulgar and vile pagans in the world. Jesus is pulling no punches here. Yet we as any of us here who are genuinely saved by the grace of God through the blood of His Son, we cannot be arrogant and prideful about hearing this either. I think what Jesus is pointing out here is humility is necessary when you hear the gospel. That's what He he condemned the Pharisees and the scribes in the previous verses because they lacked humility. They were too prideful in their own intelligence of religious truth. And now He's going even further and saying the day of judgment will be horrible, be worse for you than it will be for these pagans. Now let's look at verses 23 and 24 because now, now Jesus points to His Adopted hometown of Capernaum. He turns his rebuke upon this place. Capernaum was a prosperous fishing village. I mean, when you look at the archaeological facts of where Peter's house was and what kind of house Peter lived in, he, was, he, was pretty, he wasn't like a wealthy merchant, but he was not poor either. He had a pretty good living, making, I mean, fishing. He had a pretty good living. Pretty good living to where his mother-in-law could live with them and he could care for her as she needed to be cared for. Where Jesus, many scholars agree that Jesus most likely had his own room in Peter's house. That was his home away from home. I mean, he had a pretty good place. And so Capernaum was, was not an impoverished place necessarily. I mean, it was a prosperous fishing village. And they witnessed Jesus' daily activities. He taught in the synagogue regularly when he was not traveling around Galilee. And many crowds of people pushed around Peter's house. Remember in Matthew chapter 8 and 9? That's what kind of place this was. This is another Galilean city that was more guilty than the cities of Bethsaida and Chorazon. I think Jesus is making this clear. Capernaum, as, as guilty as Chorazin and Bethsaida are in contrast to Tyre and Sidon, Capernaum, you're even going to have a different level of judgment, harsher than them. Why? 
Because Capernaum responded to Jesus with less enthusiasm than the other places. And Jesus lived there. Different level of judgment. Goes deeper here. If the signs and the wonders of Jesus in Capernaum had little impact on its citizens, it's because they were indifferent to him. They would not be exalted to heaven. They would actually be cast down to Hades. Look here in verse 23. And you, Capernaum, you will you be exalted to heaven? You'll be brought down to Hades. I mean, Capernaum is as guilty as the Jewish people who were taking pride in their connection to Abraham. Perhaps some of the people in Capernaum saw, well, Jesus is part of our hometown. Remember, I think we looked at this uh, back last year when we in the previous chapter in Matthew, that, the, that, that when Jesus actually healed the, the centurion servant, the local synagogue leader said, oh, Jesus, you're one of us now. Remember that? But they were so indifferent to him. They took pride in the fact that this Jesus was part of their community. Yeah, here Jesus is saying your indifference to the kingdom of heaven, your indifference to the gospel will not exalt you to heaven. You're actually going to be cast down to Hades for it. It's pretty deep. Any of us who elevate our pride to we're going to be exalted to heaven for our loyalty and our obedience to the Lord. Amen. Uh, That's a pretty good warning right here. If you think you'll be exalted to heaven, be careful. The judgment that comes is going to send you to Hades. Now, Hades, the mention of Hades here, Hades is sometimes used in Scripture to actually represent this place of the departed dead like a, like a holding place until judgment. It's a place of separation from God's presence. But here Jesus speaks of Hades as a place of punishment for the unrepentant. Your unrepentant. Woe to you because you will not repent. And the actual outcome of that is Hades. Now, true truths are made clear here by Jesus in this exchange. Let's think about these two ideas that Jesus is making here. There will be degrees of punishment in the afterlife. There will be different degrees of punishment. Hell is a real place. It's not an imaginary place. It's not a figment of, of some figurative idea of just, just you're just not in God's presence, and so that's really where hell is. It's, it's nothing more than that, just uh, separated from God. It's much deeper than this. Hell is a real place, and among those given, the most severe punishments will be those who have witnessed the divine revelation of the gospel and ignored it. I'll we'll say that again. The most severe punishment for those who go to this real place of hell will be for those who have witnessed the divine revelation of Christ and the truth of the gospel, and they are indifferent to it. Because many will think, well, if I don't respond to Jesus, then they can't punish me. It's kind of like the, the petulant child who sits at the dining room table and the parents are looking at this child in the eye and talking to the child and the child just pretends like they're not there. Has anybody ever have a child do that? I had one that did that. Most frustrating thing in the world as a parent to talk to your child and they just behave and pretend like you're not there. Parents, y'all can relate, right? Imagine Jesus here responding to these people who are acting like children who ignore him. That's the attitude. God is passing judgment here for that purpose. 
You're ignoring me and I'm right in front of you is what Jesus is saying. So indifference here, apathy, is the most vile of unbelief. And that's the twist of Satan here. Well, if you just ignore Jesus, you're not really sinning. If you ignore the gospel, then you're really not guilty. Jesus is making a very clear point here. You ignore the truth that's right in front of you and you're apathetic toward it, you will receive the greatest punishment possible. I know some of you are saying, ooh, pastor, you're... Your hellfire and brimstone here. You're, you're getting under the, in that territory. Well, I'm just, reman- just repeating what Jesus is saying here. Think about this. If you're apathetic toward Jesus, if you are indifferent to the whole gospel, oh, well, I could take it or leave it. This reaction to God's grace so completely disregards God that He is not even worth debating or, 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 or arguing against. That's how deep we're going here. If you... Okay, God would rather you argue against Him than to be indifferent to Him. Christ would rather you challenge the truth of the gospel, I don't believe this, than for you to say, oh well, it doesn't matter. You see the point here? At least if you're challenging the gospel, that's an open invitation to let's learn about the gospel. But if you're indifferent about it, That is the worst sin and the worst rejection of the gospel that Jesus is making clear here. It's worse than anything. Therefore, if we, I mean, if we can't even take God seriously enough to criticize and argue with, then really what we're saying is he's not worth our time. He's not important for us. And the judgment from God will be administered accordingly. If we were, if we treat the grace of God, This way, he will treat us the same. You thought I was not worthy of of your attention? You're not worthy of my attention. Go into the deepest, deepest punishment of hell. That's where you want to be. So we have to remember this too, this, this idea of apathy, this indifference to the gospel is not just mentioned here in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus brings it up often in Matthew chapter 22 when we read about the parable of the wedding feast. Jesus teaches us that the guests who were first invited, here's what it says, paid no attention and went their way. Those who were first invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb paid no attention and went their way. One to his own farm, another to his business. That's apathy. That's indifference. That's, I don't have time for you, Jesus. Now, Jesus here in Matthew 11, his righteous anger, he's railing against these privileged cities. You could actually, I mean, Capernaum, Bethsaida, Chorazin, these were privileged cities. Even the Gentile territories of the Gadarenes were privileged enough to witness Jesus casting demons out. That's a privilege. And these cities were chosen by God to experience firsthand His divine power and goodness of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus showed divine power and divine grace firsthand. 
Yet these cities did not repent. We see Jesus as, here's what some preachers call it, this is Jesus' holy fury here. Woe to you. Woe to you. That's Je- we talk about Jesus and getting angry in the Gospels. He got angry with the money changers in the temple during his final week alive in Jerusalem. Notice his attitude in his voice here. He's not whipping them with chains or, or turning over tables, but boy, his life. Can you imagine getting dressed down by Jesus in this scene? Wow. The pronouncement of woe here is not an expression of grief. As some scholars, I think, are saying, they, they think, oh, well, Jesus is so kind and meek. When he says woe to you, it's almost like, bless your heart. That's not it. He's, he's bringing it to him. <laughs> I mean, he, he, he's expressing a clear declaration of disappointment. He's expressing a clear wrath here. It's not a, oh, bless your heart. And so look here in verse 24, as he's comparing Capernaum going down to the hells, uh, to the deepest parts of Hades. Look here at the end of verse 23 here. You will be brought down to Hades, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, I, it would have remained until this day. Now, what do we know about Sodom? That's even worse than Tyre and Sidon. Right? The final comparison here shows just how low and indifferent the Capernaum people had sunk. Jesus compares Capernaum to Sodom, and this is the worst of condemnations. If we look back at Genesis chapter 19, if you take a notes there, Genesis chapter 19 reminds us that Sodom is described in the most heinous of debauchery. That's the nicest way for me to put it with children in the room. Debauchery. Lot. Abraham's, or his nephew, he's visited by two angels in the city. And these angels were going to stay in the town square and and reject Lot's invitation to stay in his home, but eventually they relent and they come into Lot's home. And the debauchery in the city was so vile, it drove men in the city to desire these strangers, these angels that had come to stay with, with Lot. And they, they, they desired them for actions actually too vile to mention here. But notice if you look at chapter 11, uh, verse 11 of Genesis 19, that the angels staying in Lot's home were struck blind. If you want to go ahead and flip over to Genesis 19 quickly if you want to. I want to read that one verse because it really drives home a point here and we're going to close with this. Th- talking about the men of Sodom who were trying to get to these guests in Lot's house to do vile things. Notice this in verse 11. Well, actually, let's go up to verse 10 because these men are trying to break down the door. Verse 10, but the men, the angels, reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. Verse 11, And they, these angels, struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. The drive and the passion of these evil men in Sodom was so strong that even as they were blinded by angels... Their sinful desires did not stop them. They kept groping at the door until they wore themselves out. 
That's how evil and ugly this was. And blindness could not stop the desire. They were driven by lust here. Now, why is this important? Because if Jesus is comparing Sodom with Capernaum, Capernaum's indifference to Jesus is worse than the most vile sinners in Sodom, who at least were driven by their sinful lust to the point that they would scratch their fingers to the nub on a door, even though they were blind, they were still going to fulfill their sin one way or the other. Yet Capernaum, being indifferent, they're worse. If the devious sin of the men of Sodom drove them to grope at a closed door, if their sin could not be stopped by blindness, their desire was so strong that they fought violently to fulfill it. Why could the passion for righteousness not drive the citizens of Capernaum to embrace Jesus when their eyes were open and the opportunity was clear? You see the contrast here. That's what Jesus is saying. So the reason is, the reason that Capernaum would not embrace Jesus, even though their eyes were open and the opportunity was wide open, the reason is that the apathy of indifference is worse than the blind passion of sinful desire. That's a direct condemnation from our Lord. Now, we could argue that if one does not act upon the call of Christ, then there's no real sin since sin is an action. But Jesus' harsh judgment here indicates that apathy toward the truth of salvation will result in a much harsher judgment than even the debased sinners of Sodom saw. And we know what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. God wiped them out with fire from heaven. Now imagine a punishment worse than that. And that punishment is reserved for those who are apathetic toward the gospel. So how do you think about Jesus? I'm not going to apologize here for what Jesus says. A lot of, a lot of pastors would kind of sugarcoat this text. Oh, we don't want to offend people. Jesus was not being offensive. Jesus was being offensive for the right reasons because he loves us so much. He says, let me tell you the truth. Jesus was not condemning people to an eternity in hell because he did not want them. He's saying your actions, your indifference is an action, even though it's not a full action. The, the act of not acting is worse because you are indifferent to me. So how do you think about Jesus? Are you passionately in love with the grace offered by our Savior? Or are you indifferent, apathetic to the whole thing? How many of us who have known our Savior for a long time have become so apathetic and indifferent to the call of the gospel that we are almost practically in the same place as someone who never came to Christ? We're, even if, if, if we have embraced Christ, if we have been forgiven of our sin and we come to this place of our journey with our Lord as well, are we not even worse? Are you indifferent? Are you apathetic? 
If, if we at Sovereign Grace Baptist Church, we, we have a wonderful fellowship here. We do. I mean, y- y'all love each other. You, you even allow me to stand up here and, and drone on and on for 40 minutes every Sunday. It's a, it's a blessing. But folks, are we apathetic to the gospel? Are, are there people in this room who, who say, you know what, I don't have time to share the gospel. I don't have time to speak to, to someone that Jesus has, has brought into my sphere of influence or my day. Or are we so apathetic? Well, you know, I, yeah, I'm a Christian, yeah. I mean, Jesus is calling for an excitement and a passion for the truth that, say, that, that sin is forgiven and that lives are saved. Jesus is passionate here that if you are indifferent and apathetic to the truth of the gospel, you're no better than the pagans in the other cities. Are you a saved, redeemed believer in Jesus Christ this moment? Are you? If you are, are you excited about it? If you are, are you passionate about it to the point of annoyance if necessary? I think Jesus would rather you be annoying than to be apathetic. Regardless of whether you have been walking with Jesus for many years or whether you've grown up in the nicest of Christian homes to the point that you're bored with being in a Christian home, and that, that's a reality. Jesus expects a reply here. He expects it. Let's pray. Father God, you have you have graced us with the words of your Son. And Jesus did not come to be brushed aside. He did not come to entertain. He did not come to make our lives comfortable. He came to stir us up to realize how sinful we are and how much we need Him. And so, God, I pray this morning that Your Word would sink deep into our souls. Rather than being apathetic and lethargic, that we would be awakened to the truth of Your Word, that we would be awakened to the truth that Your Son, Jesus Christ, loves us so much, He died for us, and He says, forgiveness is now for You. But we're so lazy, or we're so busy, or we're so indifferent to the whole thing that we're just moving on day by day. Lord, every one of us are guilty of that. And for that, Lord, I pray for your forgiveness of us. I pray for your mercy upon us. And I pray, God, that the words of your Son would stir us to not be indifferent, to not be apathetic, to take Take the gospel, take salvation for ourselves as Christ is offering it. Let us embrace your Son as He's calling us to. Forgive us, Lord, where we do fail. And I pray, God, that those who are indifferent to your gospel, who have heard it over and over and over again, who are sitting on the fence and really just say, well, that's nice, that you would look at them and say, 
one way or the other, come or go. But come, come to the Savior, come to him. Stir up the hearts of those who need to hear this word, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.